Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on a Monday, February 26th. You're listening to the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for the Flying Squirrels, the Nats, the Caps, the Wizards, UVA, Virginia Tech football, and VCU hoops. The Rams will be next in action on Wednesday with pregame coverage starting at 545 because it's an early 630 tip-off as the Rams host Rhode Island. Merrill Hodge, the former NFL insider, he's been around a bunch of different uh, networks, he really is a a good NFL mind, one guy that I used to really respect, I'll tell you why I'm losing respect for him in a second here, but he went on the junkies and explained which of the three quarterbacks he likes best. Obviously, you have... Caleb Williams most likely will go number one overall. You have Drake May. I'm becoming more and more of a Drake May fan as we get close to the draft because I think most likely he will be available for the Commanders at number two. And then you have Michael Phillips' guy, Jaden Daniels, who a lot of people are saying could be the next Lamar Jackson. That gets me excited, but also... I've seen his body, and I don't think he can last in the NFL. I kind of look like him, look at him to be more of an RG3 who could have his body snapped in half because he takes a lot of hits rather than a Lamar Jackson who's just so smooth the way he runs around the field and slides. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. We'll get to Merrill Hodge in a second, but the question of the day on the Richmond commander is, what kind of offense do you expect Cliff Kingsbury to run here in Washington? 833-804-0910. It's the question of the day on the Richmond Commander. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for some- The phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. If you want to chime in, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. Sam Fortier of the Washington Post has a great article this morning on the commander's offense. He said, one thing's clear, that is, the what's not. The offense will not be the air raid, pass-heavy, shotgun-based scheme that offense coordinator Cliff Kingsbury came up with. Kingsbury said, quote, He wouldn't categorize anything we do under that name. Offensive line coach Bobby Johnson said some of the stuff Kingsbury ran with the Arizona Cardinals doesn't look like the air raid. Quarterbacks coach Tavita Pritchard said, quote, it's super reductive if you say Cliff is air raid. I kind of think it won't be air raid because of the balance that the offense will have outside of Cliff Kingsbury, Bobby Johnson, Anthony Lynn, uh, you know, uh, Tavita Pritchard. All these guys and in interviews that you've seen come from different systems. I thought Scott Abraham had a great conversation with Tavita Pritchard last week where he talked about his offense and kind of compared it to Cliff Kingsbury where they come from two completely different systems that do two t- completely different things. And that's what I'm excited about with this offense is I really think it's going to be an offense that shows you a little bit of this and then comes back with a little bit of that. They're going to be in shotgun a lot. I don't think they're going to be like last season with Eric Bieniemy, where they never line up under center. I expect Anthony Lynn to push that, especially on short yarded situations. And then you've got uh, the other style of Bobby Johnson, who's going to want a quarterback that's on the move uh, like he worked with in Philadelphia. Want to get a guy outside of the pocket and get him on the run. Kingsbury said, we want to be balanced. We want to be able to run the football and play action pass and really do whatever 
it takes to win. And it's getting me fired up for this offense. I do believe Eric Bieniemy was a good offensive coordinator, but I think his issue was he didn't run the damn ball enough. And part of me thinks Eric Bieniemy didn't run the ball because he was less focused about wins and losses and more focused about the statistics of the season because he knew he was coaching for his job. And that brings me to another article that came out. Mike Florio published a pro football talk. Eric Bieniemy is coming out now and saying he chose not to stay with the Commanders. I heard Michael Phillips talk about this for a second. We heard Dan Quinn mention it in the press conference that we aired live where he had a great conversation with Eric Bieniemy, and he said he decided that Bieniemy was not going to be part of his coaching staff. Well, Bieniemy wrote in his email, I have had countless conversations and interviews with many teams. I have been applauded and lauded. I can't say why certain decisions were or were not made, but it's had to do nothing to do with the lack of anything on my end. He went on to say that he chose not to stay with the Commanders. He was next hired. He will serve this coming season as the offensive coordinator for UCLA. So BNMV will be back in the college ranks where he was, oh, 10 or 12 years ago when he was the running backs coach at Colorado, uh, of course, where he played football. But back to the commander's offense, what I expect expect with Cliff Kingsbury. I think they're going to look at the tape and realize just how good Brian Robinson Jr. is, and I think he's going to be featured more heavily in the offense this year. You didn't see Robinson, in my mind, get enough touches straight from the backfield. Right? They were finding ways to get him involved by throwing it to him and screen passes or having him run routes. He had the great play where he had the 50-yard catch and run on a Sam House scramble. That was a broken play. I want more play designs to go straight to Brian Robinson. Up the gut, around the corner, uh, you know, counter plays. More, more run design offensively that is going to fit the style of back that he is. I always felt like this past season that Antonio Gibson got the plays that I wanted Brian Robinson to run, and Brian Robinson got the plays that I wanted Antonio Gibson to run. And so hopefully Cliff Kingsbury, mixed with Anthony Lynn and his head coaching experience, will be able to get the best out of Brian Robinson Jr. I told my friends this weekend there was a graphic that popped up about commanders, uh, running backs they should be interested in. I would be completely on board with the commanders trying to sign Austin Eckler this offseason. Uh, there are a bunch of names out there. I just think Eckler is the perfect guy for Washington. So here's the list I found, all right? So free agent, notable free agent running backs. Derrick Henry, too old, too expensive. Saquon Barkley, too expensive, gets hurt too much. Josh Jacobs, don't think that's going to happen. Kind of is the same running back as Brian Robinson. Tony Pollard, uh, he's going to find. They're going to find a way to keep him in Dallas, I believe. DeAndre Swift, that's an interesting free agent running back. I think he's going to be too expensive. Devin Singletary, AJ Dillon, up in age now. Gus Edwards doesn't get me that excited. Zach Moss, uh, interesting third round, third down back that's kind of bounced around the league a lot. Austin Eckler is the guy that I would like on this list. He might be too expensive as well, but that's a game-changing third down back that I would love Washington to take a shot on. Phone lines are open 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. So Merrill Hodge went out on SiriusXM during Radio Row while I was in Vegas, and he went on a rant saying that Caleb Williams isn't special and that he views him as a fourth-round talent. And he kept saying, I've watched the film. I've watched the tape. 
nothing stands out to me as him being special. And I just think that's ludicrous. Like, what kind of insane thinking says that there's nothing special about a guy who won the Heisman Trophy, right? Like, we're talking about a quarterback that won the Heisman Trophy. Did you not watch him that season, Merrill Hodge? It makes no sense. He would then go on on the junkies this morning to say Caleb Williams isn't special, and he would go out and say Drake May also, he believes, is not even a first-round talent. He went on to hype up Jaden Daniels as the number two pick that Washington should take. He said, I would take Jaden Daniels. He probably demonstrates the best evidence that a guy who plays from the pocket and they have pro concepts they use too, uh, so I can use some reality and some realistic concepts that you're going to see in the NFL. I think he's very accurate and processes things very well compared to May. I wouldn't draft May in the first round. There are a bunch of things that bother me. He's extremely inconsistent. His accuracy and processing are inconsistent. He misses a lot of hots. He's not extremely athletic, and I find him more stiff. He got a longer throwing motion, which is allow more hits in our league than he gets in college, and I'm just bothered by it. Here's my take on this. This is the time of the year, right? where you've got the scouting combine coming up, and then everybody will have their pro day. Caleb Williams won't throw until his pro day. He wants everyone to be there for that. So be it. This is the time of year where you have NFL analysts come out, and they do two things. They either hype up every quarterback in the draft because they want to be able to be right and saying, hey, one of these five guys turned into C.J. Stroud or turned into Joe Burrow or Josh Allen, or you have the other side of the spectrum where an NFL insider will come out, a reporter, and say, they hate everybody except for one quarterback because they want to champion that one guy and be right and have that on their resume. Saying, hey, I was the guy that knew Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback, even though everyone viewed him as the number one overall pick. I was the guy that said Jaden Daniels is the man, even though all of NFL reporters right now seem to have him as the third best quarterback in the upcoming NFL draft. I'll make my statement clear once again. I believe Caleb Williams will be a star in this league. I would move up to number one to take him. I also trust Adam Peters and the staff he's put together. If they want to stay put at number two, I believe Drake May is the answer at number two overall. And I believe there is a talent gap between Williams, Drake May, and then Jaden Daniels, who I just don't think is going to be able to be a star in the NFL. I kind of think he's a guy that will eventually start for two or three franchises and then maybe be a backup in this league. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910. The fan now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open throughout the show. 833-804-0910. 0910. That's 833 804 0910. Broadcasting live from Capital Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show as it's a Monday. Take an extended lunch break. You deserve it. We're live and local here on 910 The Fan till 3 p.m. and always available on the go with the Odyssey app. It's the best app out there for music, play by play, or sports talk because it gives you the ability to pause the show, run some errands, rewind, and pick up right where. You left off. And so let's uh, catch up on all the latest with college hoops. We'll start on the women's side here on University Drive. 
Let's go to University Drive. Scores, buzzer beaters, madness. All the college basketball in the state of Virginia. We'll follow your favorite teams all season long. University Drive on AWOD Radio. The Queens of the Castle. Elizabeth Kitley, who I believe should be ACC Player of the Year for the third consecutive year, played her final home game in front of Hokies fans in Blacksburg as she scored 34 points to lift number 8 Virginia Tech to a 74-62 victory over North Carolina. That's the team's 10 consecutive win, and they now have at least a share of the program's first regular season ACC title. Uh, that shocked me when I read that on the AP because I, I could have sworn I thought they won it last year yeah, when they were a do. one seed, but I guess they were not the one seed, and then they have winning the ACC tournament uh, with a victory, and then that's what got them to the one seed. But they're now 14-2 and two in the conference, a game and a half over Syracuse, and now three games over NC State, who many folks believed was the best team in the conference. Kitley said after the game, it's really cool. Obviously, we have two regular seasons left, so we're not jumping too far ahead at the start of the season. We wanted to put ourselves in a good position, not just for the ACC tournament, but the NCAA tournament as well. The way we've been clicking the last month and a half, that has really helped us. As it wasn't just Elizabeth Kitley who played well, uh, it was all the Lady Hokies. So you had 19 from Georgia Amor, Eck had 11, and she has been terrific this season. Uh, They also got three points from Kayla King and two points off the bench from Carly Wenzel, who I I think is a talented freshman. And anytime she's on the court, she does make an impact. The Hokies are looking for more shooters on the outside, and that's what you need to do. You need to surround Elizabeth Kitley, who's putting up more than 20 points a game, with shooters so that they can't double team. But she just continues to be so efficient on the offensive end, 11 of 17 including 12 of 14 from the free throw line to finish the game with 34 points, six rebounds, and one assist. Stubb, what did you want to have to say about the Lady Hokies getting their 10th straight win? Oh, that game was great. Anytime they got that ball to Kitley, she was making it or she was getting fouled or both. Her and Amor just being the point guard, passing it around to anyone behind the back passes, those behind the back kind of layups that she does. What a great game to watch. I love watching the Lady Hokies. I I said this a lot last year. I'm going to say it again. Elizabeth Kitley is the Tim Duncan of the Lady College Hoops game. She is Mrs. Fundamental. She Ms. Fundamental. She just she does all the little things. She rebounds. She is unstoppable on that turnaround jump shot, similar to Tim Duncan. She knows when to call glass or when to do nothing but net. Swiss, splish, splash. We're taking a bath. And so she's just been so terrific all season long for the third consecutive year. 23.3 points per game, shooting 55.4% from the field. So the Lady Hokies will be at Notre Dame February 29th and then at Virginia to close out the season as they've already locked up at least a share of the 2023-2024 ACC title. Let's move over to UVA men's here on University Drive. So UVA has now lost two in a row to fall to third place in the ACC. They're 11-6 and six on the season in conference play as they have suffered two straight defeats. The loss to Virginia Tech, that was a massacre, right? 34-point loss, their worst loss uh, in the history of the Commonwealth Clash. And then this weekend 
at North Carolina. And Stubb, what was the biggest problem? Once again, they could not score the ball. 54-44. to Virginia, for the third game in a row, fails to score 50 points. And that's what's going to be uh, you know, their downfall this season is the offensive end. We say this every year. Whether it starts good or starts bad, by the time it gets to late February or March, Virginia's defense is top-notch. It's pack-line defense. They don't really let you hit threes. They make it hard for you to get any bucket. But offensively this season, I'm going to say what Seth Greenberg was saying during the broadcast. They are offensively challenged. They can't score the ball. 2 of 14 from the three-point line. Uh, 27% from the field. Offensively, they run their sets, they take up most of the shot clock, and they're comfortable shooting at the end of the shot clock. But you can't have every possession be a shot at the end of the shot clock. They need easy buckets. They need transition points. And they're just not getting that right now, and it's frustrating to watch them play. Fast break points. Three for UVA. Eight for UNC. I mean, that's the difference right there. They're not getting any easy buckets, and it's making their offense just so tough. They cannot score the ball, and that has been their downfall in the last few games. Let's talk a little Spiders here on University Drive. The number one team in the A-10 got another win over the weekend, a hard-fought win over Davidson, 63-66. to And their next game will be February 28th on the road at St. Louis. Uh, but this is a, a Richmond team here that looks to be your 8-10 champs. They're currently tied with Loyola Chicago. Both teams in the conference are 12-2. But the Ramblers still have to face off against Dayton. That's going to be a very tough game. Spiders still have to host VCU. So they may not... Uh, finish the season with just two losses but to be at this point 14 games into the conference with just two losses coach Mooney deserves a ton of credit they kind of had to revamp the roster in comes Jordan King he's been spectacular all season long he had 15 points three rebounds Uh, Neil Quinn another really good game you gotta love a seven footer who scores 12 points has three assists five rebounds and a block shot Isaiah Bigelow has been their kind of uh Small forward that can hit, hit the three-point shot. He was two of four for the game. Finished with nine points. As they they got uh, you know really good scoring from the paint, and then Jordan King and a couple of guards hitting shots here. As they just played their game, and, and that's look. We're gonna run some efficient offense. They shot 41% from the field, 33% from the three-point line. Turnovers. They forced Davidson to turn the ball over 13 times. Richmond only got two fast break points. That's all right. They have the best defense in the conference. And they just they forced mistakes. They forced bad passes. They had eight steals on the game and assists 13 to 10. Spiders had the lead there as they get another victory over Davidson 66 to 63. Let's talk a little VCU Rams here on University Drive. As The Rams got a big homecoming win thanks to that second-half surge. If you missed anything, you can rewind back to 1230 to hear my exclusive conversation with leading scorer Joe Bamisil, uh, who joined us post-game after Bamisil and LaWall propel VCU to a 73-69 victory over St. Joseph's. That almost guarantees the Rams a double bye as they have a a two-and-a-half game lead on St. Bonaventure and a a two-and-a-half game lead on UMass. If you ask me... I would like to face off against St. Bonaventure. Coach K always says, you can't beat the same team three times in one season. 
Bonnies have gotten the Rams twice. I'd like another rematch there in Brooklyn. So VCU gets the win, a bounce back after the defeat to UMass, 73-69. Rams will next be in action Wednesday against Rhode Island. That will be the second-to-last home game of the season. The Rams closing out senior night on March 5th against Duquesne. But I'm really looking forward to the second game of the Capital City Classic. Richmond hosting VCU. That's coming up March 2nd. Phone lines are open throughout the show. 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. This was University Drive talking all things college hoops in the state of Virginia here on AWOD Radio. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck for the return of Burger Night. Back like it never left. Mondays from 3 p.m. to midnight, you can get a cheeseburger for just $2.95 or do what I do, add delicious bacon and beer cheese for $3.95. That's every Monday here at any of the three Capital Ale House locations from 3 p.m. to midnight. So updated odds have come out for the men's college basketball NCAA tournament. March Madness is right around the corner. Everybody wants to wager on the big games. You want to sign up FanDuel promo code AWOD. Right now UConn's in the lead. They're plus 500 to go back to back as the Huskies have been terrific again this season. So UConn number one. Houston and Purdue have the second best odds at plus 750. Tennessee, I told you I love the Volunteers. They're my favorite defensive team that I've seen this season and they've got good shooters on the outside. They're plus 1,300. Auburn and North Carolina plus 1,800. Kansas plus 2,000. Duke's odds are now plus 2,800 and getting worse because they're dealing with an injury to star forward Kyle Filipowski. Kyle Filipowski was on Duke last year, was projected to be a first-round draft pick. Chose to go back to Duke. Now he's projected to be a top-10 draft pick. Well, he got injured in the game against Wake Forest, but the injury happened after the final buzzer. So here's the story from ESPN. Court storming results in Duke's Kyle Filipowski injury. They say as cool as it is to see fans rush the court after a big college basketball win, it's a wonder it's taken until now to see an injury take place. On Saturday, Wake Forest was at home. They were able to pull off an impressive upset win over number 8 Duke, 83-79. to The home crowd was understandably jacked. Unfortunately, in the process of storming the court, one fan collided with Duke star Kyle Filipowski, and he injured his knee. I need everybody to take a listen to the call on ESPN of the final buzzer. 1.8 to go, Duke down by four. On the inbounds, it's picked, and the party is on in Winston-Salem. Filipowski is being helped off by members of the Duke staff and you saw the immediate bear hug surrounding him as this court storming is in full effect with Filipowski hobbled. Wow! So that was the raw, unedited version of the final call there for Wake Forest uh, winning 83-79. to Here's the problem, alright? And here's where Everybody at, at Wake Forest messed up. And, and I, as soon as I saw this, I knew I had to bring this up on my show. This is a Wake Forest team that should have been given a technical foul. 
because they stormed the court with time left on the clock. Stub, you can see that in the video. There's 1.3 seconds left when the play begins. They're down by four, so they're throwing it full court to try to, you know, chuck up a three to maybe extend the game. The ball gets stolen, and as soon as it's stolen, Wake Forest fans and students storm the court. And that's what pissed me off. They ran on the court too damn quick. So the question is, after the Wake Forest incident, should court storming be banned? I say absolutely not, but you should be penalized if you storm the court before the damn game is over. I mean, it just drove me crazy when I was watching that. You have to police it better. Wake Forest should get a severe penalty, a fine, or I'd say even count the game as a loss. Honestly, security needs to be better. Fans can storm the court. Students should be able to storm the court. It's one of the greatest things about college basketball. After the players are safely off the court, and they just rushed it. And here's why. Probably because they haven't been good in 20 years. Last time Wake Forest was relevant, Ryan Odom was in diapers and his dad was the coach. You know, this is a Wake Forest team that hasn't been good since Tim Duncan. And so, in the wake of now the second high-profile fan collision in about a month, people are questioning, should court storming be banned? The first time, Stump, do you remember? It was Iowa star Caitlin Clark. She was knocked down in the end of January after Ohio State upset the Hawkeyes. Right, yes, I do remember that. So I want people to chime in right now, 833-804-0910. We have to have this conversation. We have to have a discussion about college basketball and the backlash to court storming. My friends all say the same thing here, and that's you can't storm the court unless you defeat a ranked opponent at home and you're not ranked. You gotta be. It has to be a big enough moment. And it has to be a team that you rarely ever beat. All right? Absolutely why VCU did not storm the court against Dayton. We always beat Dayton. The Spiders did because they never beat Dayton. Kansas State coach Jerome Tang was asked about this, and he said, quote, if you want to build a championship culture and expectation, you've got to do the actions before the championship comes. So I told them, speaking of the students at Kansas State, here, you get one court storming. But from here, here on out, let's expect to win. And I totally agree with him right there. You, you can have one court storming, but you can't make it a regular thing. And the security needs to be better. It just needs to be so much better uh, the way they police the fans. I, I, I really think that the ACC needs to come out here and award the victory to Duke. Because, number one, we don't know what's going to happen with the injury to Filipowski. Number two... That's a penalty. You can't. That's you cannot run out on the court when there's .4 seconds left on the clock. It can't happen. It actually happened in a VCU game on the road a couple of years ago, and because of it, they were awarded a technical and ended up winning the game. Now, many leagues mandate that the schools provide safety plans. An athletical article mentioned today that certain conferences also enforce disciplinary measures like fines. Um, and it began in the 2023 calendar year. In the SEC, for instance, it is multi-tiered fine system. First-time offense is $100,000, $250,000 for the next, and then $500,000 any time after that. But Stort Corming has been a timeless transition and uh, tradition, and I don't want it to leave just because of some idiots at Wake Forest. Stubb, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I think that the win should go over to the other team, especially when the players themselves had nothing to do with it. But I think a fine or, like, you have to increase your security is absolutely fair. I've never stormed a court before. I, I'm too scared of getting trampled because it is. There's so many people running onto a court at once. It's not safe. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you guys that the one time I've ever stormed the court, 
Uh, I've stormed a football field. I did that in high school when our, our South County team beat uh, Lake Braddock or T.C. Williams or something like that. But in college, my freshman year at the Richmond Coliseum, the Rams won the CAA title over Drexel, I believe, or maybe it was George Mason. And me and all my buddies that were freshmen all stormed the court, and it was just an unbelievable moment that I'll remember forever, and it's why I'm still friends with my friends that stormed the court with me freshman year because we all have that great memory together, and it was so much fun to be on the court. But we did not storm the court until the players were off the court and the buzzer had sound with all zeros. That's what's so frustrating is that when you watch the video, it's completely unacceptable. It's .7 seconds left when Wake Forest fans were clearly on the floor. There's zero place for that in college sports. And that's why I believe that you can go as far as taking a win away from Wake Forest. And, Stubb, here's what you're saying. You're saying the players didn't lose the game. Well, I'll tell you a story. VCU, their band director, Ryan Capacci, told me that they almost got a technical at the Final Four for complaining to the refs. And I've seen in sports a uh, somebody get a technical. In fact, when we were in Orlando... Uh, one of the coach's sons, I believe it was for Butler, got a technical for screaming at the ref behind the bench, and it was given to his team because they knew he was rooting for the team. So there have been instances in the past where a fan or an assistant coach or somebody not on the court has been penalized, and the team has to take the penalty. I hate right? that. So I don't think it's <laughs> completely out of question. I mean, it makes sense, though, right? If you Let's just say you're at a Hokies game, and you guys are, are, are throwing you know keys onto the field, and you injure somebody on the opposing team. You don't think the team should be penalized for bad students, bad fans? I think they should. you got to be able to police your own. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I, I see what you're saying. And obviously, I, I, I think that those people should be thrown out, something like that, especially if they injure a player, should be fined, maybe right. taken to, to but jail how are you for gonna a second. But how are you going to find out who stormed the court now, right? I mean, you're going to go uh, you know, grab the, the highlight, grab the replay, and zoom in yeah, on people's faces and make sure they're not allowed to go to a game? The floodgates are already open you're right. at this point. I, yeah, you know? I, I just it, it feels bad to take it on the players, but also I, I, I'm with you that I don't see another solution. So I'm yeah. I'm left with with nothing. I I really don't know what the what the fix well, here is. The players, the players, the coaching staff, the fans are all part of the university. And if the university makes a mistake, the university gets punished. UVA coach Tony Bennett was asked about the court stormings over the weekend. He said, "Quote: Either you better have great security and stop them from storming the court until the players are off the court clearly, or I don't know what other leagues are doing. Maybe find them." And that's kind of what I'm saying. You have to have really good security. You're not going to stop them from storming the court, but you can stop them from going on the court until the players are safely off the court. That's That would be my solution. But I absolutely think it needs to stay in college sports. It's one of the best things about college sports, especially college basketball. But I, I will always say, though, it is lame if you storm the court and you've already beaten this team in the past. Like, I think Maryland did that this year. They stormed the court over Illinois. And it's like, Really? Illinois is going to let you storm the court? Like, it's got to be a really good game for you to have any reason to storm the court. I just got somebody tweeted me. They said, I don't think that any of the fans should be banned. He said, schools should have the right protocol in place to deal with it, though. And if you make contact with any players, coaches, or officials, it results in a forfeit. So one person tweeted me. They they agree. At AWOD Radio or at 910 The Fan, should this result in a forfeit for Wake Forest? You can tweet us. 
at 910thefan at AWOD Radio or call in 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. Take an extended lunch break here on a Monday. You deserve it, as Mondays are the return of Burger Night. Yes, Richmond's favorite night is back here at Capitol Ale House. Mondays from 3 p.m. to close, you can get a cheeseburger for $2.95 or add bacon and beer cheese for just $3.95. I want to get back into this court storming uh, topic one more time here. As, uh, I'm getting a few tweets right now. Uh, of course, our buddy Trevor tweets us here. that He chimes in. He's excited for Nat's spring training. You can always tweet us throughout the show. If it's a good tweet, we'll read it on air at AWOD Radio or at 910thefan. Um, Debo's Backpack tweets us, Filipowski shoved before tripping a student. Hurt himself doing it. No sympathy for John Cryer and those clowns. I will say, of all the college basketball teams to have this happen to, Duke is the funniest because everybody just already hates Duke, right? You had J.J. Redick in the news all of last week for calling out Doc Rivers, and it was like nobody had his back, but more people hated him because a lot of people just hate Duke. They just hate the Blue Devils. They And, and you know, I was reading John Feinstein's book from the 80s. People have hated Duke since the 80s, since it was Jay Billis uh, was playing for them. Before even Christian Leitner got there and they were winning titles, uh, just people thought Duke were just uh, rich, spoiled kids. And because of that, they've been one of the hatest teams in, in college hoops for 30 years. But we want to get back into sport uh, court stormings. Do they belong in college sports? Because they are coming in at waves right now, and it seems like every week now there's an incident. A player gets hurt, or an assistant coach gets a technical, or something. Court stormings have been crazy this season, and it was highlighted by Kyle Filipowski, who will be a top 10 draft pick in the upcoming NFL NBA draft, hurting his knee with conference tournaments right around the corner, and then the NCAA tournament, Will Falapowski even be healthy enough to give it a go? If you want to chime in, it's 833-804-0910. I'll give my take once again, but I want to take a listen to the raw audio of what took place as Wake Forest defeats Duke 83-79 to once again. 1.8 to go, Duke down by four. On the inbounds, it's picked, and the party is on in Winston-Salem. And stuff, you can hear the party. I mean, you, you can hear be. the party. <laughs> Kyle Filipowski is being helped off by members of the Duke staff, and you saw the immediate bear hug surrounding him as this court storming is in full effect with Filipowski hobbled. Wow! So I will give Duke's coaching staff a lot of credit for noticing Filipowski uh, being hobbled there, kind of surrounding him and protecting him to get off the court. Uh, It's an unfortunate situation. Uh, Once again, I believe Wake Forest should have to forfeit the game. The fans clearly stormed the court with .7 seconds left. I get it. They're down by four. Even if you award Duke two points, they don't end up winning the game. Uh, But that doesn't stop me from having to take that. They should be forced to forfeit because the security at home was not good enough. That's a punishment right there. I don't think a fine is good enough. And number two, 
They stormed the court with .7 seconds left, and they did it recklessly, running into a guy who's seven feet tall. It's easy to avoid a seven-footer, but they ran right over him, injured his leg, kind of spun him to the ground. You know, he might have more bangs and bruises uh, when we find out more information about this, but it's just an unfortunate situation. I don't think you should stop court storming overall, but I do think that it's up to the universities to police it better, and if you know you have a big-time college basketball game like that, like a top-10 team, the Duke Blue Devils come to come into town, I don't care. Hire double security. I don't care if it costs you more money. You're going to make a ton from selling out the damn contest. You have to hire more security. This is all on Wake Forest. I blame the Demon Deacon security staff and their basketball operations. They botched this. The fans should be punished. The university should be punished. And unfortunately, Duke should get a win, I think. I'm not the biggest Duke Blue Devils fan. Don't get me wrong. I grew up a Terrapin because my mom went to Maryland. She's a Terp, so I hate Duke. I'll always hate Duke, uh, but I respect their athletes uh, and, and their coach, John Shire. Now, let's take a listen to Duke coach John Shire, hear what he wants to happen to court storming. I'm more concerned about the, the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted? Should college basketball ban court storming 833-804-0910 833-804-0910 John Shire the head coach of the Duke Blue Devils was very adamant that he wants it to be canceled he doesn't want people to be able to storm the court anymore after his star forward Kyle Filipkowski gets injured Jay Billis former Duke Blue Devil here's him on ESPN this morning chiming in on court storming and but the truth is nothing's going to change now we're going to talk about it and it's going to go away and nothing's going to change and if they wanted to stop it they could stop it tomorrow uh the the, the administrators will tell you that uh security experts tell them that it's not it's not a good idea to try to stop the court storming that that could cause more problems than it would solve but you don't have to stop the court storming one time all you have to do is once they're on the court don't let them off just just say you're all detained and give them all citations or arrest them if you want to. <laughs> and then court stormings will stop the next day. Um, there's no accountability for this. It, it, the fans feel like it's an entitlement and the universities like it. And the truth is we like it. I did not listen to that clip stub before the show. I'm glad I didn't. That's an idiotic take. He wants you to detain all 350 no, students I, I, I that are on the court? I don't think that's what he's saying. I, I think he's saying that that is how it would be done, but he doesn't want that to happen. He just thinks that's the only way to get it to stop, is, is what I think is he's saying here. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I just think the answer is easy. Look, the floodgates are open. You're not going to be able to stop it. It's been around for too long. Some students, like myself, dream about it. Like, I wanted to go to a university that would be good enough at sports that I would be able to storm the court. The answer is you just have to hire better and more security, and you have to be aware of how much time is left on the clock. We all knew that Duke was going to try to grasp at a three-point shot there with a, a second and a half left to try to send the game to overtime. And so everybody watching the game knew, yeah, there's a chance that even if this gets stolen, Duke's going to foul with .5 seconds left, and the game's going to continue. The refs just got tired of doing their job, and so they should have blown the whistle. That I'm actually you know, I'm on to something. I think the refs need to be fined as well because that's a penalty. It's in the rule book. You cannot have six men on the court 
if there's still time on the clock. And whether it's a student or another player from the from the bench or what, there were a million people on the court with .7 seconds left, Stub. And so I think part of it is not just on security, but on the referees. They should not have left the game ended. Yeah, uh, that's, the game ended. that's a good point. They should have brought everyone back to the court. Yeah, no, I, I follow right? you there. Yeah, I mean, right. The game was still going, and there was a foul. You can't just... Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the game wasn't going to go to the other team, but that that's points. That's the game, stats. The game that's, was still on. Yeah. The game was not over and should not have ended. Austin Rivers famously hit a game-winning shot for UNC over Duke. He's now still in the NBA, but doing side work on ESPN as an analyst. Here's Austin Rivers' take on court storming. Yeah, it's never fun, uh, especially when you're, you know, you're on the other side of that. We actually lost the game versus Temple uh, in which they stormed the court. And when that's happening, the first thing you're thinking is, I just want to get out of here before I come face-to-face with the fan. you got to think, we're talking about young men here. These aren't grown individuals. So, And neither are the kids rushing the floor. When you have that mixing, especially on the other side, you look at, say, a player for Duke. This is a kid who just had a loss. Emotions are high. It's a bad combination of things that could possibly happen. There's, no, there's nothing good that can come of it other than a picture that's being taken or, you know, the kids jumping up and down in the court. Somebody, the fact that we haven't had more injuries in the past is actually even more strange, uh, just considering you have a bunch of fans steamrolling each other, running onto the court while the other players are trying to get off the court. It is scary uh, just because you don't know who you're, you know, you're going to run into. And Yeah, no, that's a good point by Austin Rivers. I, I think the next step in court storming is players you know hitting fans or right throwing a punch or something like that I, I mean I'm kind of surprised that Filipowski didn't do a better job protecting himself there uh, against the the fans that were storming the court but I do think that's kind of the the next worst place this could go is a fan and a and a student athlete getting in a fight what's the solution to this I say better security if you want to chime in 833-804-0910 after headlines around the country are talking about court storming possibly getting banned in college hoops in the wake of Wake's court storming debacle in their victory against Duke. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM.